Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Tech Stuff is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is all about making domain registration and service simple rather than selling a ton of services. They focus on making it easy to register and manage domains and emails. Hover has two new domain services, premium domains and clunker trade-ins. If you have any clunker domains registered with Hover, now you can trade them in. If you have domains you've registered or renewed at Hover and you would like to upgrade your domain, Hover will take your old domains back. Hover will credit you everything you've spent on your old clunker with Hover, the original registration fee, and any renewal fees. Visit Hover today at hover.com slash techstuff. If you need a standard domain, use offer code techstuff and get 10% off. If you want to trade in a clunker, just call the customer service number on their website or email. That's hover.com slash techstuff. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting across from me, a guy who uh, uh, had to stop flapping because his arms were so tired from flying back from Las Vegas, senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Someone must have slandered Joseph K. For one morning, without having done anything truly wrong, he was arrested. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, baby! (laughs) So we're talking today about CES 2012. Uh, this podcast, of course, is publishing well after the show, but it's as early as we can get it out there. Um, and we wanted to kind of talk about what I saw at the show and sort of the trends and what the show was like this this year. There were actually some pretty big announcements, some of them not directly connected with what was on the show floor, but still pretty important nonetheless. Yeah, um, the CES, uh, they, they've asked us to just call it CES now but it, yeah, it's, for branding purposes. But it's the Consumer Electronics Show. Right, right. And um, this uh, started out uh, a few decades ago, basically sort of as a, a, a small trade show. And because electronics are such a big part of our lives now, people are really interested in, in the stuff that people unveil. Some of it is uh, stuff that's going to show up on, on shelves. Uh, some of it's now. Uh, other stuff will be available later on. And then and a few products are kind of in the prototype stage, which we may never see implemented into an actual consumer product. Yeah, sort of like the uh, the auto shows. Actually, the, the the Detroit auto show was going on at the same time. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't in Las Vegas, curiously. No, um, no. Must not, have had not something the, to do with the name. I not don't at know. the Detroit casino. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are hundreds of companies, uh, I guess technically thousands of companies. Yes. Um, exhibiting on at the uh, Las Vegas Convention Center and, and at several hotels around the area. Yeah, the Venetian, the LVH, what was formerly known as the Las Vegas Hilton, but is now just the Las Vegas Hotel. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, it's, it's always extremely busy. I mean, for the people who go, uh, for those of you who don't, it may sound like it's really cool because you get a lot of time uh, checking out the latest gadgets, but... Um, you know, not for the, for the people who are working the show, uh, both as exhibitors and uh, the media, uh, it can be exhausting because you're you're sort of uh, em, uh, uh, em, enveloping yourself in tech from the time you get up until the time you Collapse. go to bed and, yeah. at night, and it's uh, it, it it's a lot. Yeah, and uh, and this year was a record breaking year as far as attendance goes. The oh. uh, the attendance was over one hundred fifty three thousand people. Yeah, so that's a lot of people, even in, in in a building as as big as the LVCC. Yeah, I think they said they had 1.7 million square feet of ex- exhibition space in the convention center this year. Uh, yeah, even in that size, it's it's still crowded. And you gotta, you know, if you've listened to our CES podcast, we've talked about the experience, so we won't dwell on it too much here because we don't want to repeat ourselves too much. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, yeah, it can be overwhelming, especially to someone who has never been to the show before. Now, this was my fourth CES, so I kind of knew what to expect. Although, in years past, it, the the attendance level had dropped a little bit. Last year was was fairly 2011 was fairly well attended, mm-hmm. uh, but 2012 was a record breaking year, which was that was new to me. It wasn't since 2008 that it had felt that crowded. Yeah, yeah, um, and and often at these shows, not not always, but often at these shows, there's there's a product or a handful of products that uh, absolutely steal a show. Yeah. Um, I, speaking as someone who didn't go, I yeah. didn't get the sense that there was one product that people were just 
you know, was just so jaw-droppingly awesome that everyone was talking about it. But it does seem like there were a handful of products that people were sort of going, okay, now, now that's pretty cool. Yeah, there were... There was a collection of products that I think got a lot of attention during the show itself. And while there might not be, like, you can think of like the Palm Pre. Yeah, or exactly the, what I was or the that. smartwatch from a few years ago. Like, those were devices that got people buzzing up on the floor and, and almost, it almost became their show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree that I don't think there was any single product that really dominated this year, but there were a lot of products that got quite a bit of, of, uh, mention. And, uh, and then there were new product categories. They got yeah. a lot of attention. Like uh, the Ultrabook category is mm-hmm. a very good example. Uh, up to you know last year's CES, even though there were a couple of, of computers out there that probably could have qualified to be an Ultrabook, the designation itself really had not emerged in 2011. Yeah. Or, uh, the first part of 2011. It was the second half of 2011 when we started to hear about Ultrabooks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah specifically, actually, they made Intel is behind the term Ultrabook, and yeah. they made their announcement after CES last year. Right. Um, so uh, just in brief, and we're going to have an episode all about Ultrabooks coming out later, so we won't go too into detail here, but it's an Ultrabook has to have an Intel Core processor. It has to be a certain thickness or thinner, uh, and it has to be able to boot up from sleep mode to active mode in seven seconds or less. So it really it's a uh, competitor to the MacBook Air. That's, mm-hmm. that's ultimately what an Ultrabook is. And tablets. And tablets. And to some degree. You know, and to a, to a certain degree. Really, the Ultrabook was almost an, an, a response to the way tablets had affected the netbook industry. So mm-hmm. Ultrabooks are kind of, you know, the, they're, they're more powerful and larger than netbooks, but they're also still very portable because they're very, very slim mm-hmm. and light. Yeah, because tablets were a big thing at CES 2011. And they were still a big thing in 2012, too. There were a lot of tablets on display. Mm-hmm. A lot of tablets. But they weren't, they weren't show stealers like some of the Ultrabooks that you saw. No, Ultrabooks, I think mainly because it was a new category, mm-hmm. took a lot more attention. Because tablets at this point, really especially Android tablets, we've seen so many of them that it's hard to get people excited about tablet. Even if it's a really good device. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's almost like the boy who cried wolf, right? You hear it enough times and you're just like, oh, okay, it's another Android tablet. Mm -hmm. And you may not pay the attention that that device actually deserves uh, to that device. But, you know, so there were still plenty of tablets. I I would say that just about every major company had at least one or two different kinds of tablets on display. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also saw some Windows 8 tablets on display. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite devices was an Android tablet on display, which was the Asus Transformer Prime. Hmm. Very, hmm. very sleek, very, uh, very responsive. No, it does not transform. But it's, it was, um, you can get a docking station that's essentially oh. a keyboard, so it turns okay. it almost like into a uh, laptop computer. But a very, very snappy processor in that. Mm-hmm. It, it was very responsive. So that was one of the devices that I actually sought out on the floor. Yeah. I had heard about it and I, I had to find it. And that was a little tricky because it was, um, it was, it was, lumped in with other companies. It wasn't like there was the Asus booth you would go to and see it. It was more like you'd go to these other booths that had one on display in order to showcase something else. (laughs) But I'm really just interested in the hardware. Um, So that was, you know, tablets were still a big deal. But I would say Ultrabooks definitely were more of a show stealer as far as a category goes. Mm -hmm. And Intel had said that in 2012 we should expect between 65 and 70 different Ultrabooks coming out onto the market. Uh, some of the Ultrabooks that were on display at CES may not ever go to market, like Intel's Nikishi, mm-hmm. which had a clear uh, window in the, the keyboard section of the, the notebook, and you close the notebook, uh, and the clear section gives you a, actually a touchscreen interface. Mm-hmm. So even when your notebook's closed, you still have an active computing element there, and you can run certain apps, check email, that kind of stuff. It's very you know, Windows 8 Metro kind of layout. So, uh, you know, we saw a lot of that um, and and other innovations in Ultrabooks, mostly aesthetic designs, like really super slim, sleek designs to kind of – go head-to-head with the MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. Uh, Samsung Series 9 was probably one of the more striking designs. Um, HP's Envy Spectre was also very striking. Very right. pretty design. Well, it had uh, Gorilla Glass on, on the outside of the 
Yes, yeah, to help protect against scratches and things like that. There was Gorilla Glass all along the back of it. Gorilla Glass also represented at CES. Corning had a booth. It was a Gorilla Glass 2. Yep, that was when they unveiled Gorilla Glass 2, right? Yep, it's thinner than the original Gorilla Glass and just as strong. And uh, so uh, we saw demonstrations of that where they showed people trying to scratch the glass or break the glass, showing how it stood up to force compared to previous versions of Gorilla Glass and competing uh, glasses that have, uh, you know, the, the protection built into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they were there. Uh, we also saw, I mean, of course, CES. It's hard to talk about CES without talking about televisions. Right. TVs, again, were a huge deal. Now, this year, I would say that the, the you know, in years past, it's all been about better resolution, faster refresh rates, and and the size of the TV. Yeah. Yeah. This year, uh, those are still important, but smart TV really was another thing that was being pushed heavily yeah. uh, at CES 2012. And, you know, you went to CES 2008. Right. You remember the internet, the IPTVs we saw, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we and they s- really took off. Oh, wait. Yeah, they no, didn't. they didn't. Yeah. And see, that's one of those things that it's weird to say that four years later, we're starting to see it actually kind of get... Right. More support. But then you think about it. Back in 2008, the widgets, the applications you saw in smart TVs were very limited. Yeah, they were. So it was things like weather reports mm-hmm. or stock prices or news, a news feed. But that was about it. Yeah. Well, now you go and you look at a smart TV and a lot of the smart TVs are concentrating on alternate ways of getting content on your television. Yeah. So having Netflix Instant directly integrated into the television set or Hulu Plus or Amazon Video. Yeah. Um, these are are things that are being put into TVs from the get-go, so you don't have to have a video game console or a set-top box like Roku necessarily mm-hmm. in order to be able to access these things. Yeah. Um, now, I would definitely say that there's not really any danger of those set-top boxes going out of business anytime soon because no, uh-uh. it's pretty expensive to go and replace your TV. Mm-hmm. You know, So uh, I think those companies have to really look at what their future is going to hold. Like They need to have a long-term plan in place because maybe five years from now, you might start seeing companies like Roku having issues because if it's built into more and more televisions, then it becomes less relevant of a product. So Hopefully, those companies are starting to develop long-term plans that can take into account the the fact that a lot of the stuff they offer right now is going to be built into televisions in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roku, by the way, also introduced a USB dongle. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to mention. Even the set-top boxes themselves are sort of changing form factor in a way. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because the Roku 2 came out in 2011, and that was a smaller form factor than the original Roku, yep. right? Mm-hmm. You look at it, and you're like, oh, it's so tiny, and it's pretty, and it's not just a, a black box. Uh, Wow. And then at CES, they bring out a dongle that connects to a USB port. A lot of televisions now come with USB ports where you can do things like, mm-hmm. like load photographs directly to your, your television. Uh, and it interacts with the TV and becomes essentially your Roku set. Um, you know, it has the functionality built into it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's now, it's not even a set top box anymore. You just plug it right into the, to the TV itself. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, and, and again, that's a way of differentiating itself from other set top boxes mm-hmm. and still trying to keep the price point down. Um, one of the thing, the attractive things about Roku is that it tends to be around $50. Mm-hmm. And I think that the USB dongle was going to be priced at around $99. So yeah. still, pretty attractive, especially when you're thinking like, hey, it's one less box, one less set of cables I have to worry about. Yeah. You know, I don't have to wor- it doesn't have to look like an octopus exploded behind my television. Ew. Yeah. That's the way my TV looks right now. Uh, I would say that probably the television that got the most attention while mm-hmm. I was there was an LG OLED display. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's partially because OLED is still such a... It seems kind of foreign, like it's an elusive category to make a, a an organic LED TV. Now, a lot of us have uh, smartphones with OLED screens on them, but uh, they're far more common in small form factors than in large. Yeah, even back in 2008, we saw prototypes of OLED televisions, but in those yeah. cases, they were very small TVs. And expensive. Very expensive, and things like, you know, a 12-inch television screen. And you think, wow, that's, you know, in the era of the of the 
super enormous big screen TV, that's nothing. Yeah. Well, this was the year where we started seeing OLED screens being pushed in the large television form factor. And LG had a 55-inch television OLED screen, 3D capable. Um, it was gorgeous. And mm-hmm. and depending on who you ask, it was between four and five millimeters thick. Yeah. Which meant that if you looked at it in profile, it looked like a pane of glass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so thin and uh, and it was just everyone's jaw dropped when they saw how how the profile of this device yeah people were trying to take pictures of it and having problems taking pictures of it because it was so thin that it was not really registering in the photo very well <laughs> and in fact i have a picture of one i took it on my my phone so it's not a very high definition photo mm-hmm. but i took a picture on my phone and it has one of these televisions uh, face on in the background and then one in profile in the foreground and it just looks like there's a line like mm-hmm. like wow that television is terrible because look at the that line of distortion right in the middle like, no 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 that's another tv in profile in front of the one that you're looking at like whoa yeah so um and also they did something kind of cool in that they have a proprietary port on the lg television that connects to a control box and so you plug in all your peripherals mm-hmm. to the control box, and then you put the proprietary cord between the control box and the television set. And that way you cut down on all those cords going to the TV. Because when you get a form factor that thin, suddenly cord management becomes a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because, you know, you're like, well, I've got the power cord, and then I've got all my HDMI cords or whatever, component, composite, whatever you have. All of that has to go to the TV from my peripherals. Well, now suddenly I've got this gorgeous television with all these ugly, bulky cords hanging off. Well, that that was sort of the approach of getting the the control box in there, so mm-hmm. that way you would have a different device you plug everything into that almost act like a receiver. Yeah, and then feeds all of that stuff as a switch to the the television itself. Um, there's a there's a bit of a, a caveat I have to add mm-hmm. with this 55 inch OLED screen, and that's uh, it'll cost you a pretty chunk of change if you want to buy one. They did not have an official price mentioned at CES. As in, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. Well, kind of, but there are there's the devices these TVs have launched already in Europe. Yeah. Okay, and if you look at how much they cost in, in Europe. And you were to translate that to American dollars, we're essentially looking at a ten thousand dollar television for mm-hmm. a fifty-five inch TV. Meanwhile, you had other companies like Sharp looking at pushing larger and larger form factors, trying to get those popular in the consumer market. So Sharp at their press conference had an entire video about how an eighty-inch television just—that's not that big. <laughs> eighty-inch television isn't too big for your living room. Okay, well, um, I just got. Uh, I just moved into a new place, mm-hmm, and I've got mm-hmm. a, a fairly spacious living room. Not yeah. not huge, but but bigger than what I'm used to. Uh, I can't uh, personally. I can't imagine having an 80 inch television in that space. It would yeah. to me, it would look obscene. Um, I'm sure the experience is great because the televisions were fantastic. Don't get me wrong about that. The the quality of the TV screens were amazing. Uh, the size, though, just was so enormous. I, I don't know that I would ever get over the fact that it was that big. Yeah. yeah. Um, 55 inches would be pushing it for me. Yeah. Yeah. So um, also, not to be outdone, Samsung announced an OLED TV, a 55-inch OLED TV. So they're competing right with LG in that same space. And uh, meanwhile, you had Sony coming out with a technology they were calling Crystal LED. Mm-hmm. So not mm-hmm. OLED. They called it Crystal LED. I am not entirely clear on what that means. Not crystal clear, anyway. <laughs> so I don't know what the technology behind Crystal LED actually is. That's something I have to look into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of their approach to this ultra-high-definition era. That was another big deal. Yeah. The move to ultra high definition. So, you know, we talk about 1080 being the, the, uh, the, the cream of the crop right now. Yeah. They're talking 4K sets and there were even a couple of prototype 8K sets on display. The trick about these is that there's no one producing content for them yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah as a matter of fact, we have an article about Ultra high, high definition. definition. Yeah, that was written by Jessica Toothman. Uh, and One of my favorite articles on the site. It yeah. is It is a very good article. You guys, if you have not read how ultra high definition television works, 
I highly recommend it. I've had industry experts tell me that that's a great article. So props to Jessica for getting that. Um, but yeah, the 4K and 8K sets, that's, they're even higher resolution than, than what we think of as HDTV right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the problem is that if you went out and bought one right now, you wouldn't have anything you could watch on it that could run at that resolution. Right. You know, we need the rest of it. We need the next level in Blu-ray technology. We need the next level in broadcast technology. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise you just, you just have, you have a set that's capable of running at a very high resolution. You just won't have anything that can, that can take advantage of it. Right. Um, but we saw some of that. That was like, uh, a fairly big move. Um, another thing that was big at CES this year were apps. Yeah. Apps have become a big deal. Um, I was, I was going to stop you though. Yeah. Before we left TV for good. Okay. Sure. One thing I didn't notice you mentioning was, 2010's big hit. Oh. The the big buzzword. 3D? Yeah. I understand it was understated this year. 3D was still a thing. Uh, there were still, I think, every press conference that I went to that had televisions had a... No, not everyone. I take that back. Most of the press conferences I went to that had uh, a manufacturer that made televisions as part of their main line of products yeah. had a 3D portion where you had to put on glasses and watch. Uh, LG's big deal was that they were really pushing uh, passive glasses technology as opposed to active glasses. Active glasses, of course, have a shutter in them that goes on and off in time with the refresh rate of the television so that uh, each eye sees just one set of images and the two sets together combine in your brain to create this three-dimensional environment. But they, those are powered glasses. You have to, you have to have some sort of power source to keep them going. So that means you have to keep recharging them. They're also a little bulkier than passive glasses. Passive glasses just use polarized light mm-hmm. and they only allow one kind of polarized light through so that uh, each eye gets, again, one set of images. Uh, w- but both sets of images are being displayed at the same time on your television. They're not alternating like active glasses. Yeah. And it uh, seems like the active glasses have a, Stand a much better chance of breaking, it, well, too, because it's something yeah. else that can fail technologically, right. and and they're more expensive. Yeah, passive glasses are less expensive. So, uh, LG is betting on the passive glasses technology. It's not the only one either. There are a lot of other companies that also have passive glasses sure. uh, mm-hmm. sets. 3D was still a still a thing, but it was not being pushed as hard. The smart TV element was being pushed way harder than yeah. 3D. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, if you look at years past, I would say that every CES seems to have a kind of an emerging technology that's coming out that starts to um, get people talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like in 2009, I would say it was tablets. Mm-hmm. Like, that was when the tablet idea was really starting to get pushed. 2010 would be 3D. Mm-hmm. 2011 was this idea of a digital ecosystem where all of your devices, like your appliances, could talk to each other. Right. Uh, now, that continued also in 2012, but that wasn't, you know, at that point, it's no longer an emerging technology. It's a maturing technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The emerging technology in 2012, I would say, besides Ultrabooks, which, you know, was a new category. Sure. Uh, was the idea of revolutionizing the user interface okay. across multiple devices and multiple platforms. Uh, I think that the big uh, – the things that really push the industry to do this are the Microsoft Connect. Yeah. That that was obviously a uh, something that was influencing manufacturers in their decision to kind of push user interfaces. Yeah. And also products like Apple's Siri. Mm-hmm. And, and Google's voice recognition software. Right. This is stuff that is pushing the various industries to try to create new ways for you to interact with your electronics. Um, and that's tough to do. Yeah. Because it's not just a technological barrier. It's a user, the user interface barrier is psychological too. You have to look at the way people use stuff. And even if you create a new way that maybe is easier or more intuitive, there's a lot of inertia you have to fight against to get people to adopt it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm used to using a keyboard and mouse or even a keyboard and a touchpad, uh, it might take a lot for me to get to a point where I want to use a touchscreen device, mm-hmm. right? Like So we're seeing computers come out now that have touchscreens integrated into the computer itself. So notebook computers having a touchscreen or even desktop computers having a touchscreen – 
Well, I know a lot of people who say, yeah, but am I really going to use that? I mean, I'm reaching out and touching the screen. Am I really going to do that? I think in a couple of years that'll pretty much be the norm and we won't even think about it. It'll be like the way the mouse was way back in 1984. Sure. Well, we were looking at the next step. We're looking at gesture controls where you move, make a motion in the air and that gives a command to whatever your electronics device is and it responds in kind. I saw a lot of this with televisions where it was going to be uh, uh, integrated directly into the TV set. So think of a Microsoft Connect being part of your TV. So if you want to change the channel, you can do that by gesturing in the air. Right. You might you might lift For a example. hand. You might lift a hand and do a swipe motion to the left or to the right to change the channel. Mm-hmm. Or you might raise your hand to to increase the volume. There were also a lot that were including things like voice recognition software, where you would give voice commands to your device, including TVs, yeah. to get it to um, to respond. And I argued, well, at something boisterous like, say, a Super Bowl party, that might become a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, where someone yells out something and then the television interprets that to switch over to Desperate Housewives or I don't know. Mm. You know, and suddenly, suddenly you've got a bunch of guys who are really getting into the show, which, I don't know, could be a good thing. Anyway, the point being that... I saw that that was a big theme, and mm-hmm, everyone mm-hmm. had different interpretations and implementations of this technology. Yeah. So there was a company called Soft Kinetic, which had a 3D sensing technology that is, uh, you know, you, if you looked at it, you would first think, oh, this is like Microsoft's Connect, but they use a different approach. Yeah. So the Connect, the way it, it interprets depth is that it projects a grid onto the environment from the camera all mm-hmm. right so and then it it interprets the um, the deformation of the grid as motion and commands okay so think of a flat grid and then if i stand like i'm pressing against that grid the grid deforms around my shape and as i move around that's what it measures soft kinetics depth sensor technology uses a different approach it uses light that's being projected at you, mm-hmm. not in the visible spectrum, by the way, that's being projected at you, bounces back and hits a sensor. And depending on how long it took the light to hit the sensor, mm-hmm. that's how it knows how far away you are. Oh, okay. So it actually has a greater resolution. Like you can get closer to the camera and still have accurate motions than you could with Connect because Connect's technology is different. If you get too close th- to the grid, it won't deform properly, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But this uses a different technology, and so their point was it was something that could be worked into things like tablets or laptop computers, where you've got the sensor technology built in, but you can be closer to the camera and it won't be a problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But another example was uh, Toby, T-O-B-I-I. Mm-hmm. They had eye tracking technology. Really? And, yeah. They just used a it used a webcam in a computer that could track your eyes where your eyes were on the screen. You had to calibrate it first, but mm-hmm. once you calibrated it, it would know where you're looking on the screen and respond. It was the weirdest sensation to read a web page, and as I was getting toward the bottom of the page, it started to automatically scroll up. And as soon as my eyes went up, it stopped scrolling, so I could continue to read. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm controlling it with my mind. <laughs> and, and you could even select links. You would stare at a link, and if you looked at the link for a you know, two or three seconds, that would be the command of, I want to go to there. So imagine having Windows 8, Mm -hmm. the Metro design. You have all these icons on the screen that all go to different applications. You just stare at an application for a couple of seconds, and it launches. Mm -hmm. It was, And they even had a video game where it was kind of like asteroids. You had to destroy asteroids that were coming in toward, actually, you're protecting Earth. So kind of a combination of asteroids and uh, missile command. Uh, so asteroids are flying at the Earth, and you stare at the asteroids, and a laser shoots the asteroid you're staring at. Hmm. So you just have to keep on looking at the different asteroids that are coming in and concentrate on the ones that are moving the fastest towards the Earth. Mm-hmm. That was, again, another really neat implementation. Um, and, it'll, and, and so it's one of those things where you know, you're not necessarily going to see a Toby-branded computer, but they might be able to form relationships with other manufacturers and incorporate the technology directly into that computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, speaking of Microsoft, this was their last year for the keynote. Wow. Yeah, this is their last people... year being on the floor, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this people was... said it was underwhelming. They said, no, oh, they didn't really bring much. No, the keynote, the keynote wasn't anything particularly 
overwhelming or, or exciting, but that was kind of the point. Yeah. Um, Microsoft, the reason why Microsoft is leaving CES, or at least the, the reason that we've been given, mm-hmm. is that, uh, 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 that, that, they, their release cycle for their products mm-hmm. is different than the CES schedule. Right. So that's the real problem with having a big show like that. Two big problems with having a big show like this. One, you're beholden to their schedule, not your own. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So if your product isn't ready to be shown off, then you have the risk of, well, do we show off something that isn't totally ready yet? And then if things fail, that could really hurt our product. Mm-hmm. Right? Or do we not show it, not mention it, and then just kind of have a lackluster show anyway? Yeah. The other problem is that you're making announcements the same time everyone else is. So there's always the risk that your announcement will be overshadowed by someone else. Yeah. Even if what you have is a really great product, there's the chance that some little no-name company has created something that just it hits that, that sweet spot. Right. You know, like the... Not to say that these are no-name companies, but again, like the Palm Pre. Yeah. The Palm Pre got a lot of attention. Well, that took attention away from other products. And there could have been companies saying, like, I don't understand. This product is great. It's fantastic. It's not getting the traction it needs to get. Everyone's paying attention to the smartphone, which is not even in the same category yeah. as what we make. Um, there's that danger, too. So... Uh, yeah, Microsoft had made the announcement that 2012 was going to be the last time that they were going to be on the show floor and the last time they delivered the keynote. Traditionally, the Microsoft keynote is what launches the whole show. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, are press events that happen the two days prior to the show floor opening, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like you don't really think of CES starting until the Microsoft keynote happens. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that that's not going to be there anymore is kind of a big deal. Uh, also, from what I understand, News.com reported it took 45 minutes for the exhibition space that Microsoft usually takes up to be sold. Wow. And uh, there are two companies that ended up purchasing the exhibition space. One was a Chinese-based electronics company called Hisense. Mm-hmm. The other company, do you know what the other company was? No. You're very familiar with the other company. Dish Network. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They bought up the rest of the space. Now, for those who don't know, who have never been to CES, Microsoft had some pretty sweet real estate. Yes, they did. There are different entrances to the Central Hall. And the Central Hall at the Las Vegas Convention Center is where I'd say the majority of the really, really big names are. Mm-hmm. The biggest booths by far are in the Central Hall. Mm-hmm. So that's where Sony and Panasonic and and LG and uh, and Toshiba and all these other big companies. That's where they are. Is in the central hall. Mm-hmm. Well, Microsoft was in one of the entrances to the central hall, the one that was connected to the south hall. You walk into the central hall, and on your left would be the Microsoft booth, and on your right was Intel. Yeah. And they just dominated that section. They were huge booths, and Intel still will be because they, as far as I know, are still planning on being at CES 2013. Mm-hmm. Well, now Hisense and Dish Network are going to have that prime real estate on the left when you first walk in. And it'll be interesting to see how that affects traffic yeah. <laughs> in the Central Hall. I'm really kind of curious about it. Um, but, yeah, that I think the, the sad fact is – Microsoft's departure from CES got more press than Microsoft's announcements at CES. Yeah, yeah. Now, that being said, I did visit the Microsoft booth, and I thought that Windows 8 looked really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also played with Kinect and played a 3D Star Wars pod racing game mm-hmm. and had a good time until I hit a wall. <laughs> really, pod racing? You mean that, that thing that was annou- um, unveiled in Episode 1? Okay, I'm not going to defend episode one, and I'm certainly not going to defend the pod racing, you know, like mini series that took right. took over half of episode one. But as a game, it's awesome. All right, all right. As a movie, I'm not, I'm still not sold. But as a game, I loved it. All right. Um. So that was a, but that was kind of fun. And uh, as far as booth spaces go. There were some interesting stories there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, in the South Hall, the upper level of the South Hall, when you walk in, on your right is the Kodak booth. Ah, uh, yes. Now, Kodak was, at the time, 
looking at going filing for bankruptcy. Which they have since actually done. done. Yeah, since since the show, they have actually filed for bankruptcy. Uh, in past years, Kodak has had some pretty cool booths. Yeah, some very interactive displays, uh, really large ones. Um, you know, there was one where there was a a display that was a vertical display and then a horizontal display. So it's like an L shaped uh, uh, display, very yeah. long and narrow, mm-hmm. but it made it look like a waterfall. You know, information was falling down the vertical side, would hit the horizontal side, then slide down. And uh, the horizontal side was about table height. And Mm -hmm. it was multi-touch, so you could then interact with the display when it was on the horizontal level. Gorgeous. Very, very, uh, uh, like, when you saw it, you had to go play with it. Right? It pulled Mm -hmm. you into the booth. Well, this year, Kodak's presence was much more understated. Um, Still had a pretty good-sized booth, but... It was a, it was a little bit of a sober atmosphere in Kodak. Yeah. Uh, which was, you know, that's kind of rough to see. It's always rough to see any company that's struggling show up at CES because you realize, you know, that those representatives are going to have to answer a lot of really tough questions. Sure. Tough, uncomfortable questions about <laughs> the, the state of the company and what they're going to do to get out of whatever slump they're in. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, I was going to say, uh, gaming. Gaming? Uh, well, you know, CES is not as big on gaming well, as E3, but uh, there were a lot of gaming peripherals. Yeah. Um, there always are. Uh, there's And apps showed off a lot of gaming, including apps made specifically for television. So, of course, you'll eventually be able to play Angry Birds on your TV uh, without any other device connected to your television. Because, as we all know, Angry Birds is the measure of whether or not the apps on your device are good or not. Yes. And, of course, they're coming out with the... Uh uh, 67-inch OLED Angry Birds device, which actually doesn't show TV. It's yeah, just there. It's just an Angry Birds game. To play Angry Birds. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, there's also, uh, there were also a lot of uh, examples of gamification. Yeah. Where things that wouldn't normally be considered a game have had game elements added to them, including fitness technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fitness technology this year at CES. We saw that, you know, we, it's always been part of CES. Yeah. But last year we really saw that take off with Body Media Fit. Mm-hmm. Well, Body Media was back and they showed updated versions of the Fit device. That's an armband you wear that has sensors in it, including, uh, uh, sensors that, that measure the, um, how much you've sweat, your body temperature, mm-hmm. uh, has a, a accelerometer in it and everything. So that it keeps track of how much activity you do and it, it accumulates data and then exports that to your computer. You sync it using a, a cable. Um, at least the, the the standard version you sync with a cable. Yeah. And then you can track how much energy you burn per day. You also can put into the uh, the software, you know, what you ate so that you can track how many calories you consumed versus how many you burned and stay on track to lose weight. Right. Or, or just use an exercise program. Well, there are a lot of other devices out there that compete directly with the body media fit. Motorola had one called Moto Active mm-hmm. that uh, was very pretty. Um, it was also an MP3 player, so it had added functionality there. You could you could use it while exercising and listen to music. But then you had a device. There was a device called the Strive, S-T-R-I-I-V, mm-hmm. which you could attach to a keychain. Uh, this also was sort of like an advanced pedometer, so it keeps track of your steps. But it also had some games in it. It has a touchscreen interface, and there's a game that's kind of like Farmville. Yeah. Like as you exercise, you accumulate currency within the game and then you can use that to to build up your your character's uh, realm Mm -hmm. Um, but it also had a really cool idea in that as you as you uh, uh, take more and more steps you can dedicate the the currency that you generate to charities three Mm. different charities there's one for uh, uh, clean water there was one for save the rainforest um, I forget what the third one was off the top of my head, but as you walked, you could end up banking that toward a charity and then Strive and its corporate partners mm-hmm. would donate money for every X amount of energy that you expended. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it gives not just gamification, but also sort of this this idea that you can help other people while getting fit. Mm-hmm. So in other words, just other ways to motivate people to stay with it and mm-hmm. not just, you know, buy a product and use it for a couple of days and then forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, you got uh, 10 points for mentioning gamification. Thank you. 
Uh, and there, there were a lot of other kind of cool things. There was a company called Erasma, which mm-hmm. did augmented reality applications where, uh, you know, we've seen like the Nintendo 3DS has augmented reality elements built into it where you yeah. have mm-hmm. specific cards that you can point the 3DS at, the camera at, and it'll create, uh, a virtual character will pop up on your screen on top of the picture of the physical card that's on the table, mm-hmm. right? So you, that's augmented reality. Well, Erasma sort of does similar stuff, except they do it with all sorts of things, not just uh, uh, specific cards. So you could have, let's say that you have a company that enters into an agreement with Erasma, mm-hmm. and Erasma produces the app that would exist on your smartphone device or whatever. And it has to be a device that has a camera in it, obviously. And then uh, the company, let's say it's a soft drink company. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you point your camera at that soft drink, it might suddenly create this little animated character. Right. And that could end up being a link to something along the lines of you might get nutritional information or it might be a link to a sweepstakes or a, a survey. You know, it could be pretty much anything that the, the manufacturer wants it to be. Right. But it gives you that added level of information on top of the physical product, which is what the promise of augmented reality is all about. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was really exciting to see. There was there was a lot of interesting. Oh, cell phones. I mean, talk about smartphones. Yeah. Okay. So, did you see what I what I said I wanted after I saw it? You mean the uh, Samsung Galaxy Note? I want a Samsung Galaxy Note, but it's bigger. That's the weird thing. It's smaller than a tablet, but it's bigger than a phone. Five point three inch display, which is big for a smartphone. And I was skeptical when I first saw one. No. I thought, yeah, no. When I first saw one, I thought, there's just no way. That's just too big. It's just too clunky. And then I got it in my hand, and I'm like. Okay, all right. It's not too big for my hand. It doesn't feel uncomfortable. But what about my pocket? So then I slid one in my pocket. I'm like, okay, it's not too big for my pocket. I no longer have an excuse. Um, and and then also, the guys in uh, black coats with sunglasses came over and said, okay, buddy, can you take that back out of your pocket now? Except that in this case, I was actually using someone else's Samsung Galaxy Note. It was a guy named Tony who works for This Week in Tech. He had one. Really? Yes. Wow. So I got to play with it. Um, it has a stylus, and uh, it actually has handwriting recognition technology built into it. So let's Heard that shout before. back to the Newton. Um, yeah, but it meant, so let's say that you want to send a text message, but you don't want to type it in using an on-screen keyboard. You could actually scribble it down, and then it will translate your chicken scratch into text, hopefully accurately. Mm-hmm. I guess it all depends on how bad your chicken scratch is. But, uh, yeah, that was a really cool phone. I thought that... Uh, it has the Android operating system that I love, and it's got uh, you know, a nice big screen, so you can use it for all sorts of stuff. Uh, the biggest argument against it is that it was, at that size, it's a little awkward to use as a phone. Yeah. It's almost more like a tablet than a phone in that case. But then you have to ask yourself, well, if you don't use your phone that frequently, mm-hmm. then is it as big a deal? And the truth is I use my phone not that often. Like, I'll use it to talk with my wife, um, or I might occasionally use it to make a call once in a while. But in general, I use my phone far more for uh, executing apps and browsing the web and, yeah. and that sort of email and that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, that's, that's an argument for something like the Samsung Galaxy Note. Now, if you just can't get past that form factor, then... You know, I can totally, you know, I can totally understand, like, because yeah. it is, it is pretty big. Um, other interesting things: uh, the Razer Project Fiona. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Yeah, it's a gaming tablet. That's kind of cool. It had uh, special controllers that you could hook up to it that would uh, in, it, turn it into this really kind of um, uh, innovative gaming device. Speaking of gaming, I also got a demonstration, a hands-on demonstration of the Nintendo Wii U. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Guys, kind of liked it. Yeah, uh, it was really a pretty interesting implementation of a video gaming device. This, in this case, the Wii U. You know, it has a controller that has its own LCD screen inside yeah. the controller, uh-huh. and it's and the controller's big, but you can use it in various ways. One way, the obvious way that a lot of people concentrate on, is that the game the the screen could show supplemental information. So, for example, let's say you're playing a game like a Zelda game. Well, it might be that all your health information, your items information is on your little screen, and then your big screen, the television, is dedicated to the action that's going on in the game itself. So in that way, your your Wii U controller could take the place of a heads-up display. 
So then you just glance down your screen to get that info, and then otherwise you look back at the television for everything else. But like another heads down, heads, heads down, down display, display HDD. Yeah, uh, the other the other way that it was used that I thought was really cool was in multiplayer mode, where mm. they had four people playing with standard Wii controllers, so mm-hmm. the the Wii remotes and the nunchucks, and then a fifth person was playing with the Nintendo Wii U controller, and it would be the four versus one in various games, and in one of the games a person played a character who's trying to escape the other four by uh, evading them for a certain amount of time within a maze. So I likened it to playing the game Pac-Man, where the person using the Wii U controller is playing the part of Pac-Man and everyone else is playing the part of the ghosts. Mm -hmm. And they can actually, you know, coordinate. Like, I see him, he's heading to the yellow section and everyone starts running over there. It's like, oh, no, no, he's cut back to green. Like you, you, So you try and cut them off and, and... and trap them. Yeah. Uh, that was a really cool way of playing a game, I thought. Now, is it going to be enough for Nintendo to really compete against Microsoft and Sony? I don't know. But I can tell you that uh, when it comes to games, like if, if you're really interested in having games where you have groups of people over to play, mm-hmm. I thought it I thought it was a neat way of shaking things up. And I kind of like it where, you know, you can take turns being the one guy versus the other four players. That's kind of a... You know, if nothing else, it gives you bragging rights if you if you win. Yeah. Like, I I was up against four of you guys, and I still kick butt. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've actually, and this is the subject really for another day, but uh, have been hearing rumors that Microsoft and or Sony may consider getting out of the gaming hardware business just because it is so uh, expensive and cutthroat to do uh, research and development and, and compete. So. Uh, not that they were getting out of gaming, but out of the manufacturing of the machines themselves. So uh, that might, you know, if they decide to do that, that might give Nintendo the ability to stay in the market if they are willing to do that. Yep. We'll see. Yep. And uh, I guess I'll, uh, I mean, there's so much more I could talk about. I haven't talked about any of the the, the, like, the parties I went to. Or, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I did go to some of those to get my hands on some stuff that wasn't really being shown on the show floor itself. Uh, I also went to the uh, International Association of Web TV Awards, which was really cool. Our mm-hmm. buddies over at Tech News Today won for Best News Show. That's great. Good job. And uh, the guys over at Rooster Teeth won for Best Animated Web Series. <laughs> and the Guild won everything else. Ha. Not 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 entirely true, but it, it started to seem like it. Uh, well deserved. They are all pioneers in web television. And they, it was kind of an interesting thing to see the uh, the award show. And actually, you know what? Surprisingly went pretty smoothly. There were a couple of technical glitches, but overall, I thought it was a pretty good uh, effort. And actually, I was very impressed. I shouldn't say pretty good. It was very impressive. Um, but I'll, I'll say one last little bit. Okay. The last little thing that I thought was really cool at the show floor, and we've seen these before too, 3D printers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> now, the idea of the 3D printer has been around for a while. There have been quite a few of them out. And there are companies that use them to help design prototypes um, and there are other companies that will use them so that you can send a design in and they will print it out in three dimensions for you using uh, some sort of polymer mm-hmm. in various ways. We've done a podcast about 3D printers in the past. Yeah. Well, the, um, the MakerBot was there. MakerBot was there, and they actually have pre-orders open for $2,000 for 3D printers. Mm-hmm. So this is actually coming to the market where the average consumer, assuming you've got two grand to drop, can get hold of one of these printers. Uh, there was also the Cube 3D, which was another 3D printer on display at CES. Both of them were really interesting, and they are able to print uh, some neat stuff in various mm-hmm. colors. And I mean, it was it was uh, it was cool to see them work, you know. And it's one of those things where we're getting closer and closer to the time where you'll be able to create a printer, just like. The promise has always been there. You'll be able to create a printer that ultimately can print all the components for a second printer, and then you just replicate printers. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about buying myself one of those and, and printing myself a, a new car. Yeah, yeah, it might be kind of like the Johnny Cash "One Piece at a Time" song. Yes. <laughs> what model is it? Well, it's a 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. <laughs> yeah. Because it's going to take you a while to get all those parts printed out. Uh, yeah, well, you still he's, have to smuggle them out of a factory like that. That's right, not in a lunchbox. Uh, yeah, the printer, the printer is not so big that you could print a car. And plus, I guess if you printed a car in one piece, it wouldn't really move, would it? 
Now you're messing with me. Anyway, yeah, it was a it was a good show overall. I had a really good time. Saw a lot of my uh, friends that are in the tech journalism business. Mm-hmm. Um, got to meet some other really cool people. Met with the Channel Flip founders who were they were great guys, phenomenal guys, very nice. Uh, my buddy Ayaz Akhtar over at This Week in Tech, he, he and I hung out a lot uh, and just sort of talked about the show and as well as just uh, debated on where to go to eat. Yeah. That, that was always a big discussion at CES. Um, I got to be on Tech News Today while I was there. So those guys were there. Uh, uh, CNET was there. There were tons of celebrities at CES. That's also a big thing at CES is companies will get various celebrities to come in and help draw attention to their booths. So, like, Tozy Robotics brought in Justin Bieber, which raised the question of whether or not he's a Bieber bot. <laughs> and uh, iHip brought in Snooky from uh, the Jersey Shore. Oh, no. That was classy. Uh, I did not go to the iHip party. I thought I was going to go, and our our former editor here at HowStuffWorks, uh, Candace Keener, was begging me to go. But it, it started at 10 p.m. local time, which... Now, Vegas time, 10 p.m. feels like 1 a.m. to me. Yeah. And I am not, I am not a night owl. So that was, that ended up not happening. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, other celebrities, LL Cool J, 50 Cent, Eliza Dushku was the celebrity ambassador to CES. Nice. Uh, Felicia Day, of course, was there for the International, uh, uh Association of Web TV Awards, uh, as well as just seeing other stuff that was there. Um, Rick Fox, former Lakers player, was mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Very tall man, as it turns out. Really? Yeah. That's shocking. Um, Wayne Brady of uh, of Whose Line Is It Anyway and and Game Show Fame was there. Very funny guy. Uh, yeah, it was it was cool to see these folks around. I didn't really. I'm name dropping like crazy, but let me make it clear: I did not chat with these folks. I watched them and thought they were really cool, and they seemed to know their stuff, which was very refreshing. It didn't feel like it was a uh, yeah. Um, at least the ones I saw. I didn't see Justin Bieber in, in person. I didn't see Snooki in person. But the others I saw, and they all seemed to really know their stuff, which was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I did not personally go up and meet these folks, so I don't want to give the wrong impression there. I'm not best buds with any of them. They don't know who I am, and it's probably for the best. So you're Jonathan Strickland. Well, Mama said knock you out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, please do not call it a comeback. <laughs> I've been here for years, four to be exact. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the lowdown on CES 2012. There are tons of websites out there that list all the technology that was on display from the big manufacturers, you know, the best of CES, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I do recommend you check it out if you're interested in seeing the sort of things that could be coming out in 2012. Keep in mind that some of the more uh, adventurous and innovative designs may not ever make it to consumer uh, electronics in the form that they appeared in at CES. They might eventually make it. It's just they might be totally different by the time they get there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I used to be adventurous like you. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And the, then you took an arrow to the knee? Exactly. All right. Well, on that outdated meme, we're going to wrap this this conversation up. If you guys have any topics you would like us to cover, you can let us know on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle there is TechStuffHSW. Or you can send us an email at our brand new email address. So get out your pens and paper. It's TechStuff at Discovery.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you